Hey guys, it's your host, Seth Goldstein, with Juicy Divas, Confessions of a Limo Driver. And I have a very juicy, important announcement. Ever wonder how cool and refreshing it would be to hear your own voice on iTunes? Your podcast made at a touch of a button? If you haven't heard about Anchor, you are totally missing out. It's the most easiest way to make a podcast super practical, and best part of all, it's free. It even has creation tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone on the go or computer in the comfort of your own home, guys. What's even better, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with minimum listenership. It's really that easy. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. What are you waiting for? Download your free Anchor app or simply go to anchor.fm to get started. Until next time, thank you. Goodbye. Hey, gang. Welcome to another Juicy Divas Confessions of a Limo Driver. Yours truly, Seth Goatstein and Jim Francis bring you each and every week two awesome, riveting episodes. And today is one for the ages. Yeah, give it up for podcaster okay author filmmaker not just any filmmaker arguably one of the most weird and talked about latina filmmakers out there making headlines and making waves guys the ever so talented shauna baka hi there hello thank you so much for having me that's quite an introduction uh yeah you like it right it's uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, we have a special affinity for your work. You know, we've been um, following you extensively and um, for some time now. And, and you know, you captured, especially with the whole mental health issue that that we're suffering in, in today's society, particularly here in the in, in, in the and, you know, our Angelino. So brings me to the topic of of uh, your book. You have a book, uh, uh, Fearless. And um, where you used conventional and unconventional medicine to help you tackle some of those issues that you were experiencing some time ago, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to particularly age myself, but if you've read my book, you'll know how old I am. (laughs) 25. (laughs) Exactly. So when I was 21, I suffered from a panic disorder that turned into agoraphobia. And I didn't leave my house for almost a little bit over a year, uh, except for to go to therapy once a week and uh, which I had to be driven to at that point in time in my life because the world was a very scary place to to be, especially inside the imagination of my own head. And um, after a little over a year, my mother, my indigenous Chicana mother from East Los Angeles said, oh, hey, there you go. give it up. Western, East, Los Angeles. <laughs> East Los Angeles in the house. Um, yeah. You know, she's like, no, we're not. No, no, no. She's like, Western medicine has failed you. We sure. are. I, I'm basically kidnapping you and taking you to the Paula Indian Reservation. And I had to go oh, see a medicine shit. man. Yeah. So, so you were sequestered and taken out to the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, for somebody with a panic disorder and the imagination, like all people who suffer from panic disorders or agoraphobia or those severity of mental disorders should definitely be writers, storytellers, and filmmakers. Because you have to learn how to live inside your head. And it can basically be a comedy, a horror story, a war movie, uh, you know, uh, can it be all rolled into one? <laughs> all, all, you know, um, some of us, um, and, and I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. A lot of people are going to, you know, obviously, um, identify with it in some, on some respects, someone knows somebody, for example, my own mom, uh, was in the house and wouldn't leave for anything. And she thought the walls were closing in and she had, she suffered from agoraphobia for about a year and a half or two. And even now it's hard to get it out of the house. She felt that um, she couldn't leave the house because like something um, was following her and that kind of thing. So it was a little more complicated. But you're right. You're right. There's a lot. I, I can write a lot. I mean, honestly, about that um, ex- whole experience. So totally, I definitely wanted to have you here um, gracing our presence, so to speak, you know, from, um, 
virtually even to just talk about this and teach and educate through through these types of dialogues can people learn about what these uh symptoms and conditions are and and how you manage to get out of this how you manage to come through on the other side and be a such a a, a talent and, and and not only that but just be able to write so many wonderful stories and i'm sure you have a way more to go i mean this is just the beginning you know we're just given um um just it's like a preamble what's to come you know yeah, I think this is uh, my debut book. It's definitely a coming out of the closet, so to speak, of right. um, suffering from mental disorders. I think the, the the weirdest thing was to see this whole thing come for full circle in the sense of, you know, I was cured that, that night at, by an indigenous right. medicine man. So walk us through that did, whole process. Who, What's your thinking process? Going into this, for those have that have not read the book, shame on you. You got to pick it up, uh, Fearless. <laughs> I picked it up the very first time. I know that you put it out there. I picked it up immediately. I was one of your first also uh, uh, writers that wrote like five stars. It could have been seven. Would have given it seven. It was great. Uh, uh, honestly, a must-have in your library of books. And, 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 and um, it how it's helped me to see things through a different lenses. But help us. To understand when you're going out to the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, it's like out in the boonies, boondocks, you, you get there. The whole experience must have been daunting at first, right? Not knowing where you're going. Oh, it was so daunting. I mean, for somebody who cried every week that I had to go to my therapy uh, sessions, then to be driven, you know, two hours out to the middle of nowhere, you know, and me thinking, now this was, this is prior to having cell phones and so forth so you know um if anybody has been out on an indigenous re reservation it's not very well lit you're like out no. in the middle of a desolate area and mm -hmm. you know so you're like oh gosh if i have a panic attack or if i need to run to the hospital like how am i gonna get there i mean it was like really like my death sentence you know right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> dead girl walking you know it's like i'm going sure. down the halls of 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 you know the prison to to the electric chair and i know that sounds extreme yeah. but for somebody who has suffered no. from anxiety or panic i mean you're in always in this flight or fight mode of life or death and right at that time, I mean, you know, what that mental disorder did was strip away my confidence, my sense of self-worth. Like it would, it, even if I didn't have any, whatever I had left was basically bankrupt. You know, I was on empty uh, because all the things that I used to be able to do my whole entire life, I wasn't able to do. I mean, the world was a very scary place. Like I didn't trust the air that I breathed outside, <laughs> outside of my yeah. house. I didn't trust the world. Wow. I mean, I believed that bad things were going to happen to me if I left. I mean, I was very delusional too. I would see buildings crumbling like before me. Wow. So it was like these the almost like PTSD, you know, sure. to an extent. Sure. Of, uh, and that, and that's the other thing that what right. panic disorders trigger is, you know, you, you have enough of them, you're traumatized. And so the illusion is the trigger of that memory that you have right. with all the times you've had panic attacks before and all the experiences, right. you know, it's like, how many now times do you have to go outside and, you know, basically, let's say, you know, you go out, you're, you're walking outside and every time you walk outside, you get hit in the face with a ball. How many times is it going to take before you don't go outside in that spot where you've been hitting, you know, hit many times. And that's kind of what it's like with panic um, disorder. It's like, okay, I went to school today. I had a panic attack. And then, you know, I, I muster up the courage to go back and I get it again and I get it again. It's like after the third or fourth time, I'm yeah. not going there anymore. So and most people what you work. do is you deduce it. You start deducing it down because you start having more yeah. and more panic attacks in, in, in sure. different places. So if you had one at your, your best friend's house and you had one at church and then you had it and then you have it again and you have it again. It's like you, you know, to the point where basically you don't leave your house. I mean, I can't wow. even go outside to get go to 7-Eleven and get a soft drink, right. you know, sure. that's how scary the and world that, became. And so 
and so you walk us through all this in, in the book. So that's which is why I want to, aside of promoting your book, I want most people to really get a good um, feel for what you're talking about, uh, going through your lens, almost living vicariously through what you're going through. So, um, so pick up the book, uh, those that are listening in or, or that will be listening in rather, because uh, it's it's pre-recorded. Um, but I do want you guys to understand that this is this is really an issue in today's society a lot of people suffer from it and it's not who you think or what you think you know like sometimes it's just your standard person um next door could be suffering from it which is probably why they don't come out of their house and a lot of people don't um uh, you know look for 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 help or if they do they look in the wrong places because um you know uh, just the fear of the unknown you know now you had a you had uh, like kind of the precursor to all this. You were in the 405 freeway. It's kind of like you opened up the book or you're in the 405 freeway and then suddenly explain to us you, you're having a heart attack. You feel your heart palpitations. It's going to come out through your mouth. You can't breathe. You feel like you're dying, clammy yeah. hands and you're stuck in the 405. So already that's a bad experience in itself um, for all of us that experience the 405 living out in the valley. The 405, it's bumper to bumper gridlock. <laughs> Even if you don't have anxiety, right? it'll give exactly. you anxiety or it'll, it'll give you anxiety. <laughs> Quite frankly, that's what I thought initially, by the way. When I was first reading the book is what I thought. It could have just been the fact that all these cars seem like it's a parking lot and they're not moving. So you're not going anywhere. And suddenly you feel, holy shit, the walls are closing in type thing, you know. But no, it's um, this is where it started for you, right? So this was my first major panic attack. Now, I didn't know what a panic attack was. So as I start my book, the first thing that you, it, I mean, it immediately starts. So I, I've been told yeah. by various people that read it that that first chapter is very intense because really is. it's like you open the first page, I'm on the freeway, it's the, or yep. on the 405, I'm on my way to an appointment, I'm late, I'm already you know, stressing out about that. Now I'm bumper exactly. to bumper, I'm in deadlock, and I can't get out. And that's what starts and triggers is that feeling of being trapped and not being able to get out. Um, and at that point in time, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't know what a panic attack was. I didn't right. even know what it, really an anxiety attack was. I just knew that I was having this, this physical symptom. And so, of course, I related it to a medical condition. But at the time that I had it, it was 21 years old. So I was just like, oh, no, I think my I can't breathe. My lungs have collapsed. I, uh, something's wrong. There's a hole in my, you know, in, in my chest, like in my lungs. I, why can't I breathe? Everything's obstructed. I'm looking around and, you know, people are pissed off for being in traffic. Everybody's honking. You know, it's, it's, it's really a scene out of a movie where... <laughs> You know, something it really is aliens are coming or something devastating is about to happen. Yeah. Four or five. And you just see people like and hustling and bustling in the city life yeah. being completely trapped. And so yeah. I, I walk through the whole experience as in almost sure. in real time as it's happening to me. Yes. And, you know, the clammy hands and the sweating and then I'm inside my head because I, I, I internally, I know something's wrong. So I'm kind of tuning mm -hmm. into it, which I don't think at that point that I was really in tune with myself, right. you yeah. know, I was 21 years old. It was just like, I'm sure. learning how to, you know, not be dependent on my, my mother or, you know, like I'm finding yeah. my, my adult. I'm, right. I was, I was adult, adulting, adulting is hard, you know, as it yeah. is. And then trying to find your own identity and then, to, to tap in and tune into some like spiritual aspect or your body, you know, um, spirit and mind was just a, such a far-fetched concept. So of course, you know, I'm hyper, I start becoming very hypersensitive. I'm, sure. you know, start freaking out and I'm like, uh, I'm freaking the hell out. Like I, something's wrong and, and, right. and I don't have a cell phone, so I can't call. This, I mean, yeah. we didn't, none of us had cell phones. I know, don't think really. any of us, back then really yeah you're absolutely right so um we're so lucky in many respects to have cell phones and i did meant to like kind of delve down that that rabbit hole but i sort of wanted to start right off the gate with this because it's such um uh, for me it's it's almost personal having dealt with some of that some of those issues with mom but then also to you i know you're you're also I mean, as of late, you started a podcast, a whole podcast that envelopes, sort of umbrellas this whole subject matter, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I started, I, I wasn't really setting out to be like a, a voice in, or an advocate for mental health. But what's mm -hmm. crazy is, so I started writing this book about the same time that I decided to go back to school because when I was 21, I had to drop out of school. So I never finished, you know, getting my degree. So, you know, now I'm trudging through life. I'm like, I feel great. I've like completely worked on myself. Like I've sure. like just taken layers and layers out of trauma, learned to deprogram mental conditioning, you know, caused by losses and trauma and, and personal tragedies and experiences. And now I'm like, you know, You're coming into so your own sort of, huh? I'm this world traveler, you know, I yeah. took like a couple You're of like years ago, I took the world's longest flight. I, w I became a filmmaker, you know, yeah. I mean, and I had exu exuded this persona like uh, mm. exterior wise, you know, uh, right. to, to people, anybody who ha has probably met me in the last like 10, 15 years would never ever suspect that there would be one ounce no of fear that lives in, in inside of me, you know. Nine and hundred years. I'm sorry? Not in a hundred years, there's no way. Right. Yeah. Nobody. I mean, even now people's like, Oh, I had no idea, you know? And it's like, well, but most people that suffer from those types of disorders, I mean, I don't suffer from them anymore. I consider myself a, you know, panic attack and agoraphobic survivor, you know, because Absolutely. I do think that there are some, you know, there's a lot of things out there about the subject matter now and people just learn to manage their anxiety or they learn ways to de-stress themselves. But I, I really do believe, and I know from firsthand experience that you can become a sur survivor. It's not about how do I deal with my mental health issues? How do I, you know, it's like, how do I learn to use that energy or how do I learn to deprogram that conditioning? Because that's not the narrative that I live in today. Right. You know, how do you overcome those traumas? So I believe that you can, but it takes a lot of work, fully recover right. and flip the script on, the, on, on that, which is what I did. But I mean, I wrote the book because I was inspired when I decided to go back to school, I said, this is the last thing. This is the last thing on my plate. You know what I mean? And then my canvas can be painted. I have a blank canvas. I can go anywhere, sure. do anything I want and paint it blank anywhere snake. that I want. Exactly. Yeah. And so th and then I started to notice that the kids in college, like they suffered, like mental illness is a big, mental health is a big deal on college campuses. It's like yeah. uh, suicide is the second leading cause of death on college campuses. That's and, what I hear. Sure. Right. So, and like one in five people suffer from a mental disorder, you know, so, uh, it, but we don't talk about these things because, you know, no. in society, we sort of sweep things under the rug and we have to be act like we're normal because nobody's talking about this. Well, exactly. the, more, the more and more that I shared, you know, my story in general, not even about the book situation, the more that I just talked about it, the more that I found a commonality, you know, because oh, everybody yes. suffers from fear or from something. They, yeah. they have anxiety, it, whether or not um, it's a generalized anxiety or an anxiety disorder, you have suffered from, you know, uh, you almost hit this car in front of you, you know, or right. somebody almost crashed into you and that puts you into this flight or fight mode in this, you know, this, this, this level of anxiety. And, and uh, I think anyone know, so, that anyone that, and, and, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to just say that. Oh, just anyone who's human has, you know, right. Felt the emotions of fear or flight or fight Absolutely. responses or anxiety. So, but what, I, what I was really, sort of I guess flabber gassed like you know with just this discovery of okay well when I was suffering from it to, you know at 21 years old and then I was trying to learn about about what had happened to me after I was cured by this medicine man I went to some webinar not webinars but seminars like you know the learning annex had had these like little day uh, events you know and, and so forth that you would find occasionally that were usually hosted by a therapist and uh, yeah. they would talk about the levels of 
anxiety. And I was always put in these rooms with people that were in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. So sure. from, from a statistic standpoint, the demographic that it affected the most were middle-aged people with a higher percentage in women than men. You, now You weren't fitting 20, that narrative. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm not ready to have a midlife crisis. I'm not, I'm only exactly. 21. I just started my life. But then, you know, flash forward 20 years later, I'm in college and the highest demographic are 17 to 25 year olds now. So where oh, did wow. this change in a matter of 20 years? You know, so how did that, that occur? Was, what do you think is uh, the variables and things that, that have happened? Like it's just more trauma possibly. Well, I am uh, not a professional, you know, uh, educated guess. Give it an educated guess. But I will guess. give you what my premonition guess uh, based on okay. experience and what I've seen and what I've learned. I would say that technology plays a big hand in it. You know, we live in totally. a society where, uh, you know, we're watching 15 second videos of people dancing on, on platforms like TikTok. It's like everything moves very yeah. quickly now. And Twitter, when you have, really <laughs> when you have, as somebody who has an overactive mind in general, um, you know, somebody who suffers from anxiety probably has, you know, a hundred thoughts per minute. Oh, did I pay this? Did I do this? Oh gosh, yeah. did I do this? Yeah. I'm like in my head. Oh gosh. Oh no. I, I I've been there somebody, actually. You know? Yeah. And so can you imagine that the world is moving with you at that capacity and, you know, the pressure that is being put on, uh, younger people, even with all the political stuff, you know, it's like sure. you get on Facebook now and it could be a very scary place. The world can look like a very oh, scary yes. place to, to live in, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, I blame the media in part on some of that because they're filtering information that is not yeah. always necessarily based on facts. And there are right. so many, like my mother does this, you know, she gets on the gaslighting, right? Gaslighting. <laughs> my mother gets on stuff and then, you know, she's like, Oh, did you hear that? You know, basically <laughs> she, my mom's a big conspiracy theorist, So she'll start talking about okay. the Illuminati and, and, you know, stuff like this. And, and then I go, where did, what source did you get this information from? And she said, um, Oh, it's right here on this website. And it's like, you yeah. know, one, two, three of the world Alex Jones. or something. Yeah. It's like, so, so I say, Joe no, Rogan. no, you're, you're it's Joe, Joe wrote, she gets all her conspiracy theories from Joe Reagan. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, because a lot of my information, like sources now come from um, the obvious, like you said, it's, it's, it's there. It's in, in, right in front of us. It's in our, on our phone in, in, um, you know, you got it in computers. And so unless you delve and kind of go down that burrow, so to speak, and, and kind of know how to navigate around to try to find your sources. If you don't, if you can't possibly do it, you don't have the time, you're going to go with, with your impulses. Like, oh, this is the first thing that popped up. Well, I'm going to give it some credence. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. But then the more other people jump in and say the same thing. So now it becomes a little more credible. Okay, maybe it has some truth to it. And then like the more it, it starts in getting embedded in your head. So your subconscious uh, level, you start kind of believing some of it. I'm not going to say fully, but to a point, you sort of believe some of it. And then I, sometimes I, you want to believe some of it. Yeah, we have to believe something. something. <laughs> uh, let's so just say this right here. I believe in aliens and alien yeah. forces that have visited right. our planet. But that's a whole other episode. Oh, we can. You know what? <laughs> I meant to. Yeah, I meant to section this off into two parts because we're going to have you come back for a second part because I also wanted to touch base um there's just so much you know like we can really touch on i i wanted to obvious for obvious reasons given the the level of um you know violence that happens with a lot of people don't get the help needed with when it comes to mental health um i wanted to delve into that sort of before that being the meat of the subject matter but i also wanted to talk about the accolades and the stuff re in relation to your to your filmmaking so i do want to go into filmmaking a little bit to find out um you know how to jump in to immerse yourself because I know you had a couple of uh, run-ins you like met uh, Coppola when you were just a child um, yes. by happenstance yes. or by fate I would call it more fate if, if than happenstance then you also met um, Mr. Uh, what was his name uh, Ka Ka Kaber Kaber the director the big director Ka Kaber Kaberet or Kaber Kaber something 
um, in their early um, <laughs> days that uh, I can you know, and, and John and, <laughs> Cassavetti, yeah, John Cassavetti. Okay, so you met these people, and they had to obviously have made a huge impression upon a six or seven year old. Yes, tell us what that was like. Well, uh, okay, so as a girl, a little girl from East Los Angeles, I mean, say it with some conviction. Oh, East oh, LA, East LA's in the house. Um, <laughs> I know this East Sider kind of turned into a West Sider for a while, but like That's anyway, nice. I wow. I completely you love I mean. my my root. <laughs> sure. Um, Lincoln Heights know, all the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Represent. Um. No, so, I I was first exposed to filmmaking at the age of three when. Nick, um, I mean, John Cassavetes rented out nice. my uncle's house to shoot a movie. And although it was three and a half, it was a night shoot. So they, I think they started probably like at about 6, 6 p.m. at night. And then they probably left at five in the morning, five or six in the morning. And uh, my cousins were there, but I was the youngest. Uh, and I saw the lights and the cameras and the actors and I didn't know really what an actor was, you know, because I, I used to watch cartoons <laughs> and things. Right. So I didn't yeah. know what it was, but I loved and that's when I fell in love with the whole process of right. that creative process. And, you know, the cinematographer was sitting in this chair, you know, and um and the camera was moving and tracking and, you know, so it was on some tracks and, and I didn't know what that was, but I was like, oh, this is the coolest choo-choo train, you know, <laughs> ever. Yeah. I want to be, I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and my, um, so I started my to bad. get, I started to get water for the, like, I didn't get hired. I just, I just decided. You hired to, yourself. I hired myself because that's what you right. do when you're, you know, right. raised by a single self starter. You start showing your. You start showing your initiative, right? You're, you're so right. I would go right. get. Proactive. I would go get everybody, all the actors, waters and and juices, even if they didn't ask for it. And then I started one. And then when they said quiet on the set, I looked over at my little older cousins who are probably like six and eight or something, and I said quiet on the set. You know, and oh, it nice. was just so yeah. funny. And so my uncle went over to John Cassavetes and he's like, I'm so sorry. My niece is just, you know, this is a personality and this is exciting for her. And he said, you know what? You let her do what she wants. She has, she's welcome to, to, to be on set with us. And I remember that when everybody passed out and went to sleep, like all my cousins, my cousins and my uncle and my aunt, they all fell asleep. I was still up. And I remember like distinctively, you know, I don't have a lot of memories when I was like three years old, but it was so prevalent that I watched the last grip truck leave and drive Holy down cow. the street before I went to sleep. And then I was like, okay, I no longer want to be a judge in yeah. criminal justice. I want to be whatever that is, you know. Yeah, you're ultimately unpersuasive about it. You were stuck on on it like this is it this is you're fixated this is what you wanted to do right at that young age yeah and then a few years later i think um so i was i went with my uncle to and my cousins again to the rap party uh, of one of francis ford coppola's films and i was a very inquisitive cool. very independent child so they lost me immediately like i mean come on you, it was it was like in a hangar you know sure. <laughs> there were like santa monica hangers thousand people like there. yeah i mean probably the santa monica hangar or maybe like a hangar in van nuys i mean it was in los angeles sure. and sure. and they've turned it into this huge party with bands food everything and so apparently um i didn't know who Francis Ford Coppola was. And I really kind of didn't know what a, I still didn't really know what a. Wait, what? Was. How do you not know who that is? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I did. Like, I'm because... six years old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm yeah, just like a little thing. thing. <laughs> but I remember that I walked up to these 
people and there were like four men there and a woman and she was they were all in black and she was wearing this like sapphire blue a business suit you know and I go hello <laughs> and they all look at me and, and they said they said hello and I said um so how's the weather up there meaning because they're oh, so much amazing. bigger than me and Francis right. Coppola uh or or no I think they uh, no 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 actually he asked me he said hey he goes how are you he goes what's your name and I said Shauna and he said he goes so how's the weather down there because I'm so like little right and they all start laughing and I said not so not so good and he goes why and I said because when you're this little nobody listens to you and they all start laughing and I go I go how's the weather up there and he goes not so good and I said really why like I believed it really why and he goes because when you're this big nobody listens to you and they all start cracking up <laughs> they all started cracking up and so then you know later I don't know uh I had been, been running, ar running around and all that stuff and then my uncle like went up to Francis Borgopo and he said have you seen a little girl you know about this time and he goes, he's like yeah he's like she was just here about 20 minutes ago and he goes oh I can't find her he's like I'm he goes you met her and he goes she Francis said yeah and he goes oh she's just so inquisitive I'm so sorry I lost her and stuff and he goes I think she wants to be like a filmmaker like you and he said well you tell her she's welcome on my set anytime she wants to come that's visit. beautiful what a, so, wow and then it was all downhill after that okay <laughs> so what wait a second what exactly happened well, I mean, I had ambitions of wanting to like be a filmmaker, but then you go back sure. to East Los Angeles and you're playing with your friends and exactly. you know, they want to listen to how you're gonna be this movie star 80s disco movie. Yeah, it's like no yeah. women at that point were talking about. I mean, no yeah. guy I knew was talking about wanting to be a filmmaker. I mean, you know. Uh, so, so it, even though, you know, I lived maybe three towns over from Hollywood, three or four towns over from, you know, where all this action was happening, it just seemed like worlds apart. Nobody was like, oh, yeah, let's go to film school. And, you know, so there was a lot of not knowing and not being aware. And remember, you know, this is all time that you didn't have the internet. Now it's like you have access to the world around you. It's like you could Google yes you know, which colleges could I go to school to be a filmmaker? Right. What, you know, uh, where should I go? Like, how do I apply for college? How should I do this? Yes. And then by the time I was wanting to actually be more serious about it, I developed a, you know, panic, dis an anxiety disorder that turned into a panic disorder and then agoraphobia. So it's like, well, people were off going to college and then starting their careers and, and finding the loves of their lives and, you know, uh, having children and stuff like that, getting married, those, all these normal things. It's like, that just was not my path. And, you know, I've had many false starts. So it's like, I've had as much sure. as I've had successes, I've had equal amount of setbacks, um, to, to get, you there. have to have like, setbacks, right. In order to, in order to climb up this letter of, um, this, uh, letter of uh, what do you call uh, ladder actually of of success you you have to have undeniably gone through so much right like pushbacks from family people that just didn't think it's possible from folks just naysayers and whatnot uh it's very elusive almost to think that you're gonna climb up this this sort of uh, uh ladder of success um as it were um it's kind of a thing, you know, where for me, like, for example, uh, growing up in, in, in East Los Angeles, Northeast LA, Lincoln Heights, um, I, to be exact, I, I remember like the first movie star I met was uh, uh, Edward James almost, right? Okay. And um, he came to the high school and then he gave out photos from like his days back then, you know, the, he said, um, let me take your information down. And then the, the production company would send you these elaborate photos with signed by him or, or, um, you know, and, and I remember first getting the picture and, and it just caught my attention. It's like, that's kind of where the acting bug came in. So I started taking classes at theater, but no one took it serious, which is why I never really talked about it so much anymore and then like you said life happens around you and people you know just start um starting life and, and and whatever that may be for each person no one kind of the dream sort of 
it dims a little bit. I got to tell you until other things begin to take shape and you leave those four walls, so to speak. Well, I mean, I think you're looking at a demographic of people that are in a, where we're, we were oppressed in, in a way, yeah. because, you know, I look at other people and I go, oh, they've had such, I'm not going to say filmmaking at all is an easy path. It's not, but no. some people have the tools or their parents have the tools that kind of help navigate them through that. So, you know, some some families, they, as a child, you just know that you're going to go to college, you know, and you just know that your parents are going to pay for that college or somehow that college is going to get paid for. And then, you know, um, I mean, one of the things that we always talked about as as filmmakers is, okay, so like if you wanted to work at the mail room at William Morris, I mean, most of those people were lawyers who graduated from college who then take a job that's making minimum wage, right, with all this college debt to work their butts off in the mail room to one day become an agent. Well, if you're from East Los Angeles or something, or you're from an, a, a situation like for me, where, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we were on social security or welfare because my dad died right. and, you know, my sister's dad died sure. and stuff. And yeah. then not college educated, not knowing how no. to, to get, to get there to then all of a sudden get there and then go, okay, now you have to support yourself on this salary and work 60, 70 hours a week, you know, in, in a mail room. It's like, I can't afford to take that kind of an internship, you know, I mean, survival was necessary. So, I I mean, I don't want to talk about necessarily privileged people. I'm just saying that it's, it's a harder hump to get out of. We were, we were marginalized. I mean, needless to say, it's, it's a fact. It was just, um, um, a sad truth and to climb out of that and get out of that um, bottom feeding, you know, low, I'm not going to say like low, but bottom of the totem pole to get out of that and actually climb out of there was such a challenge in itself. And um, mentally for starters, you know, to get to a place where you could, you think you could, you know, just go toe to toe with someone on a whole other level, but I am. Yeah, go ahead. Booker T. Washington has a, a, a famous saying that I like a lot. He says, success, uh, a man is not measured by, the, by success in what he, the amount of money he has and, 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 and the things that he has, but what it has taken to get there. You know, I I chopped that up a little bit, but that's the gist of, of, of it, you know, because you can like, you could take two people and you can say, all right, this person has a net worth of $10 million and this person equally has a net worth of $10 million. Well, both are successful, right? But one was given $10 million by their grandfathers and the other person worked, you know, slinging tacos for a while and and built their way up. Well, how do you measure success? You know, and it's like that whole idea of earning it and you know so all i'm saying is that if you're a filmmaker from east los angeles and you've made it you've got to think about the journey that it's taken to get them there to have that amount of success i think it's 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 pretty phenomenal i would say dare say that you know like for even to just to I mean, I'm listening in on everything you're saying, just hearing you out and just this story out of like grace, the silver screen at some point, it ought to be on the screen. We ought to be able to tell this story along with a lot of other filmmakers and actors who have gone through this. And, and, you know, that's the commonality of a lot of folks that have come from these sort of backgrounds that, you know, that where it's been impoverished situation and people in and around you um, don't help. You know, a lot of times they are the naysayers or, you know, like they say, um, what is it? Um, uh, misery loves company. So someone sees you trying to crawl out and it's uh, it's like the Mexican crab effect. They pull you right back in. So you get a lot of that, a lot of enviousness, you know, from within the community, unfortunately. But then the fortunate part is we are we don't want kind of, um, you know, to be bestowed upon like just like this. We, we don't want just someone to give us a crown and offer things up. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think you wouldn't either with some obviously limited to some exceptions that 
you know, this whole journey, what it's taken to get even this far, it's well worth talking about because, because it's anything worth having will take um, blood, sweat and tears, almost literally, you know? Well, I mean, we can actually host a full segment on uh, right. what you're talking about in terms of Latinos supporting Latinos, you know, or yeah. our, our culture supporting and helping bring bring us up. That's like a whole other segment. Oh, you boy. Completely do, yeah. which very muddled, very muddled. <laughs> it's a very muddled, especially within the Latino community. Um, but we're talking about books and mental anyway. health. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back you know. to the podcast. Tell me all about your podcast. You have this podcast, Changing the Narrative. Tell us about it. Um, well, my podcast is basically called The Fearless Society, which I started a blog first. And then now I started a, a podcast and I started a YouTube channel to just basically create conversations that are centered around um, mental health, mental awareness, mental well-being with and topics where I interview people that see, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a trained psych, you know, psychotherapist or psychiatrist, right. uh, but I, what I've learned is that you can measure your expertise. They say that to be an expert in anything, it takes 10, a minimum of 10,000 hours. And I can tell you that yeah. I suffered <laughs> over 10,000 hours, you know, of my lifetime. So, so I, I was cured, but I was cured, um, you know, by a medicine man, but that was just curing me um, of all the panic and the agoraphobia. Later, I had to dip, use different modalities um, to just right. grow awareness and learn what algorithms that triggered me because I wanted to learn everything about it because I never wanted Absolutely. it to happen to me again. So I, I interview people that are like medicine people, uh, alternative medicine, Reiki. Uh, I just had somebody on who was a, who is a, a hypnotherapist and a specialist wow. in tapping. Oh, I heard of that. The tapping. Yeah. Um, yeah I've heard of tapping before where you kind of, um, let's see, you reprogram yourself almost. It's like a retrofitting your brain, right? Almost. Yes. Yes. It's like reset. Awesome. So I, yeah. I, I did something called a network spinal analysis. And basically it was founded by Donnie Epstein and he's a, he's a chiropractor, but he used this idea of tapping in association, you know, along with your spine and it has all these different gateways that like maybe one of the gateways is related to trust you know one is like they call them the rays the ray of trust the ray of um love you know and and so forth and how our bodies get trapped in these different things and how you have to keep channeling and opening these gateways and it sounds kind of new agey but there is a science to it because you know everything is related to your spine right like our right. like all of our organs are connected somehow through our spine most definitely so she does hypnotherapy and the idea of the hypnotherapy is really about communicating with your subconscious mind. So your conscious mind is communicating with your subconscious mind. And that's basically where you hold all of those traumas and triggers and the cellular memory and all that stuff. So basically what I just wanted to do with my podcast is to just create a space that we talk about these things because I've used a lot of conventional modalities and unconventional modalities sure. so you know yeah. ha and mental well-being is all encompassing of body spirit and mind so if umbrella if i if i'm having a podcast episode with a medicine person you know who is a healer 
skills. How does how does that work? You know, how does that work in terms of something that is more more uh, science based? You know, you know. Sure. You mentioned a lot of new agey stuff and these propagating these new ideological, you know, stuff out there is is the way to go nowadays. Because I noticed a lot of people were so used to conventional medicine, but now through the modality of, you know, the Internet and whatnot, um, more folks are opening up themselves to to these other great possibilities that you and I grew up with. You're not conventional. Yeah, I I mean, I wouldn't say. They're new agey, they're old agey, wouldn't you agree? Because the idea of plant-based medicine was around way before pharmaceutical, it, by, you know, chemical. It was. And let me clarify what I meant that when I meant with that was just that for the folks, you know, that are now starting to kind of open up themselves to this new way of thinking. But for us, it is an old age thing because we kind of, it was more of a folklore. It was, you know, a passed down generation to generation. Yeah, culturally speaking, you know, before, right. you know, our great, great exactly. grandparents were, were you exactly know, weren't right. born at a hospital. They were born by a midwife in their village, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and you find that a lot of medicine um, today has components of plant-based medicine in it. I mean, yes, they put other chemicals in them, but like you take a look at hydrochloroquine, which is one of the things that they use for uh, COVID early on. Early on, people were right. taking hydrochloroquine and sure. it's an antiparasitic. And one of the key ingredients in it is wormwood. Well, wormwood is a tincture that has been around for, you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years to cure. Beginning of the ages, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't go that far back because I haven't been on this planet uh, well, maybe I have. I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe it's I, another like, life, right? In another life, I was an ancient Egyptian who used wormwood, you know, as as an elixir yeah. to to fight off some of these and <laughs> parasitic things. Right. <laughs> no, that sounds very New Agey. But um, you take a look at this and you say, all right, they're putting all this other stuff, you know, in in this key ingredient. So if I went to Whole Foods and I bought Wormwood and I took it, took it yeah. for anti-parasitic, it would work. Right. Without putting all these chemicals. And yeah. it would be a lot cheaper for me to buy sure would. Wormwood, you know. Yeah. So I think they I think- rebrand it, right? Also, the rebranding with like technical terms and stuff, sort of like also um, kind of mask you know, the medicines get masked. But in reality, if you do the, the research, the, a lot of it comes from the fundamentals, like you just finished saying, you know? Yeah, and I think that if you get sick today or, like, you have mental um, disorders like I did, I think that it's very important to educate yourself as to what you're putting totally. in your body, what kind of modalities. Because at that time that I had it, they just – I saw a psychiatrist, and she was just like, you're depressed. And I was like, I am. How do you know that? And she says, just by talking to you, I go, you can tell that I'm depressed just by talking to me because I didn't say anything that was depressing. And I don't, you know, and even if I was depressed, I didn't know what depression felt like, you know, so I didn't feel any different, but you think I'll also, also like a lot of tags, a lot of like every, everything um, nowadays has a, 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 a sort of a, uh, you know, of a tag, it's it's pigeonholed as, oh, you're this, you're that. But there are sometimes uh, some people that might not, I mean, we all, I mean, needless to say, we're not always on the up and up. There's times when we're totally, we get depressed. Everyone suffers from some form of depression. There are how we deal with that, you know, through, through you know, like uh, tools that we learn, be it meditation and in prayer and whatnot. We learn to come out of that. It's a state of mind for a minute. But I know that there are folks too that get classified as certain things that that actually don't have what they've been classified as. I don't know if it makes any sense. Well, I know that because I've had some 
I'm not going to say minor health issues, but you know, yeah. some health issues that were, were manageable with treatments and stuff and exactly. like anemia, you know, for instance, and there's a lot of gray areas. And I can tell you that, you know, at one point right. to try to factor and figure out where exactly my anemia was coming from. I had three different specialists that I had to work with and you're thinking, okay, it's just anemia, eat some red meat or some liver, like if you're vegan right. beans and whatever, but to really get down to where the stem was what the root cause was, was yeah. so challenging. And I have to say that anytime I complained of anything, anytime I was like, Oh, I, you know, I'm having some stomach issues with this and this, it's like prescription. You have IBS. It's like, uh, how do you know I have IBS? Maybe I just shouldn't exactly. be eating onions because maybe I'm allergic to them. You know, so right. we live. We're in a. I, we live in a society again where where the health industry is so complicated because of the really insurance is. companies that I almost feel like it it affects the level Absolutely. of care we get sometimes. So we're not. It's gut wrenching for me. Yeah, we're not in the business of finding root causes we're in the business of treating symptoms through pharmaceutical uh drugs you know yep. and i got it's like a little band-aid they, they put over it you know it's just a band-aid short term well but i mean you know we can we can also argue the theory that it's a it's a trillion dollar industry you know like well, it all goes back to the money you know totally in yeah. many ways, it, yeah. it deals in my, it, it, you know, my experience um, having, I do have a couple of uh, doctors in my family of, you know, we, we always argue that point. I mean, there's just, you know, it's, it's, it's another whole other topic. It really is. It's a right. whole other show. Right. <laughs> but May is mental health awareness month. And yes. I think that everybody through this pandemic, and one of the reasons why I have been a lot more vocal and adamant by using different platforms like YouTube, using different, you know, platforms like mm -hmm. Anchor, podcasting, uh, social yeah. media to just talk about it. It, I, I, I know through different programs in my life and, 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 sure. and in my journey that, you know, by, by talking about it, by creating a dialogue about it causes other people to talk about their experiences like if i wouldn't talk if, if i w didn't talk about this today you wouldn't have shared with me your mother's agoraphobia you know yeah. and i think that when you share this you realize that you're not alone but if we isolate and we don't right. and we hide because we think that society is going to think we're weird or freak or crazy or whatever you know sure. adjective you want to like throw out there um, mm -hmm. you, you realize that you're not alone. If we're, t if we're talking about right. it, if we're expressing it and we're having a communication, yeah. it makes you human. We have these emotions and sometimes we get trapped inside these emotions and we don't have the tools to navigate our way out of them. And so what I'm doing with my platforms is talking to professionals, looking looking uh you know at other ways and alternatives. So like maybe me going to a, a medicine man helped me right. but maybe it might not help somebody else you know but maybe um you know some other form of modality may right help that person but now when you went to the medicine man can you explain what a medicine man is to those that might not know um what it's what exactly a medicine man is it's an unconventional so a form of medicine but that they practice but what exactly is a medicine man well it could be a medicine man or a medicine woman. I'm a, I, I just happen right, to right. go see a man. So, you know, curanderos, uh, curanderas, you know, uh, healers. They are people that, in this case, he's an indigenous person who has learned the ways over time of how right. to help people spiritually, mentally, and physically overcome, you know, their situations through a faith-based practice and a cultural-based practice, uh, and and it's the power of uh, of prayers, 
really and you know certain medicines because a lot of t a lot of them will use plant-based medicine to give you things yes. you know to help because it comes from mother earth after all you know right it's it's right. funny but it all ties into mother earth right we come from mother earth and we go back to mother earth when we're all come we've completed our tasks here on earth and so it's only rightful that medicine would come from mother earth that can cure us you know isn't that funny i just thought about that right the second by the way <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that that's why it's an easier concept. It's not a new age yeah. concept. It's a plant -based no, it's medicine concept. And you have a lot right. of doctors now who practice alternative medicine or naturopathic medicine. So, sure. you know, and not necessarily sure. use pharmaceutical medicine. And I mean, right. I'm sure that some pharmaceutical medicine can actually help people with, you know, things like schizophrenia and uh, other more complex mental disorders. But, but at the same time, you got to find what's right for you. And when you are putting right. these pharmaceutical medicine into your body, you have to look at all the facts on what it what it's doing and what symptoms that it'll cause because anytime you put chemicals in your body you're altering something that's not naturally sure. supposed sure. to be there so you might that's take a good point you raised thing, but maybe right. long term use of it yeah. might uh, they, they wanted might to be on some medicine like recently to help with this hive condition this autoimmune hive condition that I developed and okay. and they said that uh, even though it would help take my hives down, it would eventually cause long-term damage on my um, liver. Right. So that's, you that's what have I hear. to educate yourself with what you're taking, how to detox yourself off it, or what other effects may, may affect you as a result of taking you it. You have your body. Anything you put in, you're right. Anything, any substance um, of any sort that uh, can have some kind of, uh, all, you know, can alter your body. Like you said, any change on, on your, you know, the way your functionality of your system, you know, the way your system is running. Totally. Well, even foods uh, that you put in your body. You know, you eat a lot right. of sugar. You, it could cause, you know, in some cases, cancer. It could cause diabetes. It could cause all right. kinds of different things. So. Yeah, most definitely. I have honestly got to tell you, um, it's by far one of the, the best shows I've, um, you know, great guests i mean needless to say we have you on and um but just the topic itself i i really i want to peel more layers of of this and 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 you know about your life i want to go back to um the filmmaking what's what's in store for you for the next coming years you know what you have um any current projects and all that so it's definitely a big question will you come back um soon hopefully for part two of this absolutely um, I would, I would definitely, you know, we, we need to have you back to cover um, a whole slew of things. Um, we just barely, barely scraped the, the top, the surface, um, but, but we really want to delve more into, you know, like some of, of the, you, you know, you have like some ghost stories also that were um, in the book where you had an indigenous woman that appeared. And I think I was pretty fascinated by that story over at, uh, forget the name of the high school, but it's on the West side, definitely. Um, University High School. University High School, yeah. And and you had a story there and there's, um, um, I don't know if there's relics there or something that's still there, right? That you can go see. Um, that's that's part of the indigenous, because it used to be like a campground, indigenous campground there, am I, am I right? Uh, yeah, there's like a sacred, um, mm -hmm. like a sacred wider thing. It's called, uh, Indian Springs. It's like on Indian, Spring, Tongva, yeah. Indian land and they excavated, um, out of a well, they found some artifacts and they found some bones of this wow. little boy and stuff. And That's stuff. nuts. But there's like a whole thing on it and, um, yeah. A lot of weird phenomena that happened at that yeah. yeah i definitely want to want to talk to you more about that and then and then like we said um you know don't be a stranger i i definitely want to hear more about everything you're doing and um 
you're welcome back anytime. Uh, I want to, just before we go, uh, what are your social handle, your social media handles so folks can follow you and, and, and you know, kind of see where you're going? Well, if you're interested in learning about my book or finding links uh, to my blog or YouTube channel or podcast, you can go to fearless-book.com. Okay. Uh, you can go to shaunabaca.com. Uh, my IG handle is film pixie. So you can find me there. Okay. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, with, um, honestly, if you have nothing else to say, I think we're gonna, unfortunately have to go time has run out and, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do this but we have to say goodbye guys until oh, next yeah. time till we meet again yes we till we meet again seth goldstein <laughs> another juicy divas confessions of a limo driver thanks again shauna have Thank a beautiful you. day you too